0: Greetings, Looking Up listeners. This is Josh Elstro, producer of the Looking Up podcast. We're unable to record new episodes this month due to Dean's trip acting as astronomer in residency at the Grand Canyon National Park. Instead, we're revisiting some episodes that cover the year's most talked about stories in astronomy. We start this week with a look back at the frenzy over UFO videos back in the spring. We'll be back with new episodes in January, and until then, keep looking up. Hey, Anna, we just had a lunar eclipse on May 26th, but we got one more big eclipse coming up, a solar eclipse on June 10th. Are you ready?
1: Am I ready to be left behind while you go chase
0: it? Yeah, I'm pretty ready absolutely oh, that's true. Burn. <laughs> i know it's not a burn it's just the truth I mean, I that's,
1: yeah that's tell, just, it
0: can't be a burn if i'm just telling
1: the, tell the facts
0: i know so june 10th everybody get ready for a partial solar eclipse across just parts of the united states uh this is just going to be visible from uh uh northern ohio michigan uh upstate new york and the northeast as well as parts of canada so not a full-fledged eclipse for most folks and not a total eclipse but still pretty cool so if you live anywhere in those areas get ready for june 10th get your eclipse glasses ready to go and anna if you want to yeah we can fit you in the car we'll go up to uh upstate new york uh, upper peninsula michigan you know, I would love to ride in the back
1: of a Prius next to an XT8 telescope, but I think I'm just going to stay home because I'm already getting my sights set on 2024.
0: Oh, that's probably smart. I mean, eight hours in a car ride with me is probably not worth any kind of eclipse. So. No,
1: I, I, you know, I, I really don't think we need that level of, <laughs> of togetherness as far as a road trip. We have different styles so i think i'm just gonna wait to the one for the one you know but i'm excited for you excited for you all right
0: i bring a lot of snacks on road oh. trips so i just you know that's... well let's talk in that case i mean how many,
1: <laughs> if i can bring a few yeah. of my own musical choices <laughs> then we get some oh. snacks i'll be good i could i could also nap part of the way and then get ready for the oh, big show music
0: huh? oh i oh shoot there's no room in the car oh no <laughs> That's you big.
1: I would take you to some big solar event and my, <laughs> let you listen to whatever weird music you wanted to. So slow one side of you, Dean.
0: That's very inviting. <laughs> You're like, I'm busy forever. I'm busy that day. Um, but thanks. But anyway, for you out there, anybody, uh, get ready. June 10th, partial solar eclipse. And then Anna will save up for the big total eclipse in 2024, which we will, of course, be covering quite a bit. Of course. From our makeshift home studios and Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Dean Regis, and this is Looking Up.
1: And I'm Annie Heeman, and we're both from the oldest public observatory in the United States, the Cincinnati Observatory. Dean's the astronomer, and I handle the operations. We share the wonders of the universe with thousands of people every year, and now we're doing the same through this podcast. We love talking to astronauts, scientists, authors, and all kinds of colorful characters about topics like astronomy and space science. Our guest today is a professor in the astronomy department at the University of Washington, and an author of the new book, The Last Stargazers, the enduring story of astronomy's vanishing explorers, Emily Levesque. So, we're not planning any road trips anytime soon. Got it. I, you know what? I even have bigger fish to fry today. So, I'm not even going to get in with you about this whole road trip thing.
0: Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, that's, it works.
1: But, you know what I want, what we're going to talk about today?
0: Oh man, I'm nervous. You should nervous. be nervous. Yeah, what what you do got we got? you got some explaining I, I, to do. I see, I see it on the list of what's coming. But tell everybody what I'm nervous about.
1: We're talking about aliens. We're talking about bom, UFOs. Bom, bom. Bom, bom, bom. Where are yeah. <laughs> We're gonna enqueue some dramatic music there.
0: That's
1: right. Um, yeah, we got we got some things going on, and it's all looking pretty legit to me.
0: <laughs> really? What's going legit? on? The invasion is on.
1: That's right. The invasion is on. I think it's it's happening.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the videos uh, taken by folks and uh, pilots and Navy and Air Force videos and all this stuff. But I think the one that I really want to talk about is uh, the theory of a uh, spacecraft that we watched that everybody got to see. This is an object called Oumuamua. This is the object that came from outside of the solar system, this very long cylindrical object that was detected traveling at super speeds through the solar system. And it was the first object detected that came from somewhere else. It did not come from our solar system like planets confirmed. or asteroids or comets. It's confirmed it is from somewhere else. <gasps> so that means it is alien but it is not aliens. And so, this yeah. It seems the, like some discussion interesting to me. Boy. Yeah, this is the discussion we have is because there is a, a, a astronomer who we're not exactly sure how much he believes it's aliens, but he has written lots and lots of papers on this, lots and lots of interviews saying, you know, this may not be just a random rocky object that's floating through the solar system. Maybe we need to look at it and look at it as if it were an alien spacecraft. Now, this is a a Harvard scientist, Harvard uh, uh, professor. Uh, His name is Avi Loeb, and he's been uh, coming under fire from his colleagues because this is one of the rules of astronomy is you don't say the A word. You don't say aliens in a serious conversation, especially you don't throw it around lightly. And so he his theory is that this object is not a rocky body, but is a broken off piece of an alien technology, a light sail that has come through our solar system is now accelerating away from us. Now, that sounds pretty good. I mean, that sounds intense, right?
1: Mm, yeah, it does actually sound pretty intense. I was like, no, yeah, it does. I'm, I'm, yeah, it does sound intense.
0: Now the problem is, is from what I can tell, not one other scientist and astronomer will back him up. Like everybody is distancing themselves from this guy. Cowards. Like, they're like, they are. They, they are like. <laughs> Whoa whoa whoa. We're going right to the aliens explanation <laughs> right away. Like this thing's barely left the left the sun and now you're like it's aliens. I mean like the memes of the guy from the the History Channel, like it, with the, with his hair sticking up. It's aliens. We need to get that guy on
1: the show. Yeah. <laughs> Hang out oh, with him.
0: Oh, do you, I don't know if he and I would get along too well.
1: <laughs> I don't either. I would do the interview. We would. There would have technical difficulties. None of your questions would come <laughs> through. He wouldn't want to hear anything, and I'd be like, just basically having him just go
0: go talk about all the aliens. No, I I I would probably interrupt him all the time by by you know if he starts to say something I'll be like it's aliens it's <laughs> aliens so I'll 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 give it back to him.
1: But does that mean that people that astronomer? Okay, I'll say people like that. Yeah, I'll yeah. say yeah. your your people. Okay, <laughs> yeah. um, would be so naive to think that there aren't alien. I mean, we're all by ourselves in this giant. Come on. Come on,
0: me. well now that's you know absolutely right on that part. Is that yeah, that idea of are we alone in the universe, that's a bigger question. And and I would I don't know where people would fall on that. I think it's pretty close to 50-50 that people would say, oh yeah, there's probably alien civilizations out there I'm glad you in asked the astronomy that, world.
1: Because in September a study was released that 47% of Americans believe that there is life on other planets. They were it's a very vague question, but that they did believe it. So yes, you're almost yeah. exactly right. Half half the people say yes. And then only 25% said they really strongly believe that there was not.
0: Yeah, and I, I would I would be I'm in the camp of I think there are as there is alien life out there somewhere on some planet some somewhere. Um but when it comes to this this object, Oumuamua, uh-huh. it, the, the idea of this as a spacecraft is is pretty laughable. I mean, it is this is what's so startling is this Harvard professor who previously has not gone out on limbs or anything like that. He's very well-respected, and then all of a sudden he's in the alien camp. And so if this thing was an alien spacecraft... It is not a very good one. That's for sure. It's tumbling end (laughs) over end over end. It's not going very fast. It's flying, but I mean, it's not going very fast. If it it was on its way to our our humble abode to get a picture of us, um, it would have taken forever to get here. So it's it's a journey through space is incredibly slow. If it's going to go to another solar system after this. Boy, these aliens are very patient because it is barely creeping through space. I mean, we can make a faster spacecraft than this thing. So if oh, it's a space, if it's fight an alien, words, it is, if this is an alien spacecraft, it is a very poor one. I mean, it is, it's, like, it's like a Model T flying up there. Like, <laughs> hmm. So So now then you could go with the reverse thing and say, well, wait a second, Dean that's exactly what the aliens want you to think who are you working for they're dis- <laughs> they the aliens are disguising it they're kind of like slumming through this yeah, thing to like, be like oh yeah team. this is like a this is like a geo Metro coming through but it's it's really a corvette you know it's like <laughs> um, and so then so then once it's out of our detection then pew, it's gonna speed away and go on out there but th- that's that's basically going out on a very big limb. And so the astronomical community is not very happy with this, uh, uh, this professor. So the one thing that they, he, he points out is that this thing has, it's not going the speed that it should, uh, if there, there's some kind of propellant that's happening to this. And so his idea is, okay, well, so it's sped up or it's not going, it's not slowing down as much as it should, if it was just a, a, an asteroid. Um, to which everybody else says, "Well, yeah, it's like jetting gas, like a comet or any asteroid that goes around." And he says, "Oh, well, we can't see the jets of gas." And astronomers are like, just because we can't see it, doesn't mean it's not happening. Don't go to the alien thing right away. And <laughs> Man, so this is like so it's basically like, well, hot button issue. It is a hot button issue, and we are not happy with this not like one you're bit you're the representative
1: of all the so you're like our duly elected representative dean Regis, will be speaking on behalf of the federation of astronomers who say this is not aliens
0: that's right that's right yeah so uh, so yeah <laughs> if the two of us were appearing on a stage he would give this very long explanation about how it's aliens right and then i would be the reversed guy and be like not aliens, yeah. I don't know
1: what it is, but it's not aliens.
0: <laughs> but I, 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 if, if folks want to learn more about it, you can uh, probably two of the best writers about this that's debunking Avi Loeb's idea are two of our former guests. Uh, Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, wrote a very lengthy uh rebuttal to the Oumuamua alien spacecraft, and our other buddy, the cosplayer Ethan Siegel. Oh, Remember, yeah. Ethan. He wrote an even lengthier, fiery spe- I mean, he he makes me look like the calm, rational one. So uh, check out Phil Plate's, uh Oumuamua articles and Ethan Siegel's. Read Ethan's second because it's intense, man. It's good. Guys. <laughs> but so aliens out there somewhere, this thing, alien spacecraft, no way absolutely not you heard I it here folks it. oh he's I, la- he laughs. I, in laugh, the face of I laugh at that <laughs> oh man what a terrible spacecraft that built they built hey, maybe we should talk about aliens more this is fun
1: I'm like a lot of, of really focused negative energy coming from you this from you on this i get it
0: i feel i feel better i, I feel a lot better <laughs> Emily Levesque is a professor of astronomy working in the astronomy department at the University of Washington. And last year, she released her first popular science book, The Last Stargazers, The Enduring Story of Astronomy's Vanishing Explorers. Emily, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, as we were reading about this, you, you, you know, when you were growing up you, you and you wanted to be an astronomer, you kind of had this idea of what astronomers were like and what they did. And then you became one. Tell us kind of what happened after that. Were were astronomers exactly what you thought they were?
2: It was really different than what I expected growing up. So, I mean, from the time I was a little kid, I knew I loved space. I knew I loved science and I wanted to do something around space and science. But I didn't know any professional scientists. I definitely hadn't met professional astronomers or talk to them about what their job was. So I had this very vague sense of it's probably going to be pretty cool. But I didn't know what the ins and outs of the job entailed. I kind of thought, all right, I'll spend all day, all night, all the time at a telescope. And it wasn't until I got to college and started taking classes and learning the nuts and bolts of astronomy that I learned how little time you sometimes spend at a telescope as a professional astronomer and how precious and sort of high stakes that time is so it was a surprise but it turned into a fascinating job so
1: so is that kind of what was the most surprising thing when you were thinking about you know what astronomers kind of do or what they don't do as far as that you know time at the the scope or or what was the kind of the the biggest surprise for you as you were doing your research and learning more about the 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 uh field
2: So when I first got into astronomy, I thought that I wanted to come at it from a very sort of theoretical and physics standpoint. And I still really love physics, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to be somebody who was at a telescope all the time. I wasn't a natural tinkerer growing up. I wasn't the kid. apart the radio i was the kid pulling a rock out of the backyard convinced it was a dinosaur bone so when i realized how much fun i was having at telescopes i did have to learn you know this is a relatively sparse part of our jobs people will spend a few dozen nights a year at a telescope or even just one or two depending on what they're researching and what they're using so i was surprised to fall in love with it and then surprised to figure out what it entailed i think what caught me the most by surprise is how i wound up traveling all over our own planet to study the rest of the universe you have to go to a lot of these telescopes out in the middle of absolute nowhere for good reason i wound up having these really amazing adventures just in pursuit of getting the data that i needed and i never would have expected that growing up
0: yeah i think that's one of the things that that folks don't realize is being scientists you have to travel and that's one of the greatest ways to see the planet is uh, being a scientist one of the perks of the job don't you think
2: Oh, yeah. I can't believe some of the places I've gotten to visit and see as part of my work. It's such a great treat.
0: Well, so you kind of touched upon a little bit of the the pressure astronomers are under that, you know, you only get so much time with these giant telescopes. There's only so many telescopes. But um, are there, are there some, some anecdotes you have of the, the pressure of being an astronomer, having this timetable? And also maybe touch upon some of the uh, the real dangers of being an astronomer. You kind of have that in some of your book uh, too, about uh, some anecdotes of dangerous situations astronomers have dealt with.
2: Oh yeah, well, it's interesting to make sure people understand just how high-stakes a night at a telescope is, because we apply for access to a telescope like other scientists apply for grant funding. And there are only so many nights in a year, and a committee gets way more proposals than they have nights, and they'll decide, okay, you get the night of May 10th or May 20th to do your research, and if you show up at the telescope with your very carefully laid out plan and a list of exactly what you want to do, and it's cloudy, or the telescope is broken, That's just the way it goes. You don't get to stick around on the next night and try again because somebody else is on their way with their own list and their own plan. So I've seen... Plans for research get waylaid by months, by years, because of one badly timed cloud or one windy night. Um, I'd flown all the way to Chile and gotten stuck sitting in a telescope for two nights on exquisitely clear nights where the wind was blowing too hard and we couldn't open the dome and use the telescope because the wind was blowing sand around and debris and it risked damaging the telescope. And along those lines, when you are getting a good night, you're usually scrambling to make the most of it, but you're working on a fairly remote mountaintop. You're working in a place with lots of wildlife. I have had so many of my colleagues tell me stories of running into enormous tarantulas and rattlesnakes and bears and all sorts of weird sort of nature that's sharing the mountain with us. Um, And you're working in a place that's far from medical care in really big, in in big buildings with moving equipment. And this can sometimes become a very serious safety risk. And it's why typically when you're working at an observatory, you'll have multiple people there, you'll have safety measures in place, because these are big, delicate, and at the same time dangerous instruments, and people want to make sure that we're using them safely.
1: So you've written some, I noticed some uh, technical books um, in your career, but what led you to write this this book kind of in a, along a different uh, vein? What what kind of made you want to do that?
2: The idea for this book actually came out of discussing, you know, what would be a cool popular science book with someone and thinking about the stories that astronomers tell each other. The stories that are featured in the book are the stories that we all swap Over dinner at a conference, or that we'll toss around while waiting for the clouds to clear, sitting at a telescope on a bad weather night. And what I realized about them is that they are entertaining and they give people a sort of human aspect to a field that can sometimes seem really remote and kind of far-flung. And they're a way to learn about how astronomy works. People will tell stories like, oh boy, this one time I got locked in the bathroom and the telescope was running without me and I couldn't get out to stop it. And you need to understand how precious these telescopes are and how delicate they can be to understand how scary that is or some of the weird extremes we'll go to to get our data make more sense if you understand the scientific questions we're trying to solve explaining how black holes work or how the universe began or how it'll end so they seemed like these stories seemed like a good venue for teaching people about the universe and giving people a behind the scenes look at what our jobs are While still keeping these sorts of familiar, ridiculous things that have happened at work tales that I'm sure everybody has told at some level.
0: Yeah, and I I think uh, I always wonder if astronomer stories are exaggerated just a little bit, you know, like uh, fishing stories, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, the the weather's always a little bit tougher. I don't know. I'm suspicious of you. You think they're legit with their uh, astronomer stories?
2: I actually specifically asked people to tell me the story that they had heard that they were sure wasn't quite true. Um, I interviewed more than 100 of my fellow astronomers for the book, and I mostly just wanted to get their stories and their experiences of working at telescopes, their thoughts on how the field has been changing because technology's really dramatically changed how we do our research. But I wanted to get the, you know, what story do you absolutely don't think is true, but your advisor's advisor told it to you or you overheard it at a conference and it was just well. Because I wanted to hear the stories that had just entered like the legend of the field. And there were absolutely tall tale versions of stories that I had to chase down to get the real answer to.
0: Well, definitely astronomers are a chatty lot from my experience. I don't know. It's all those those long nights. (laughs) Like if they get an actual audience of actual humans, you got to watch out, right?
2: Oh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about our research all day. And we do get practice, you know, at three in the morning at a telescope. And I mean, our 3am conversations are the same as conversations anywhere at 3am. Nobody's quite awake. Everybody's filters off a little, but you're there for a reason. And you're excited about what you're doing. You're just getting tired. So yeah, we're, we're happy to talk about our science to anyone who's interested in listening
1: maybe um you could uh just talk a little bit um kind of your experience in a more general sense with how you see the field of astronomy and space science changing for women specifically um and kind of your your experience and then what you see as far as doing kind of your research and some of the conversations you've had
2: yeah i'm really glad you asked this because this was a aspect of the book that i very much wanted to cover is how the field has changed and how the field is still changing um A, I think in 2017, um, something like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm trying to find the number. Um, There were, um, women earned 40% of the 186 astronomy PhDs that were awarded in 2017 and 40% is pretty good. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like the fraction of women in astronomy is starting to get better. Um, A generation prior, women were not allowed to be the main investigators. At telescopes. Women weren't allowed to stay in the dormitories at observatories. And women did use telescopes and stay on these mountains and do amazing groundbreaking research. They just had all these roadblocks that they had to deal with that the men didn't. And those roadblocks have been getting torn down at a very nice rate. We're also not done. Um, 40% of PhDs awarded does not necessarily translate to a representative group in senior positions or directing the field. Um, The number of Hispanic women and African-American women is much, much lower and is still something the field is trying to improve. So it was interesting to explore how women in astronomy have been making massive, amazing contributions for decades and decades in spite of everything that was put in their way. And it's also nice to see that, you know, maybe... As these barriers drop, the representation will continue to go up, we will continue to be able to appreciate folks for the science that they're doing and not just and not see their gender as a impediment or a reason to discriminate against them. So it was nice to watch that change. Um, The field is still far from perfect. Um, I spoke to women who had dealt with issues of harassment in the field or who had been pushed out of the field, and nobody should ever have to deal with that. But I'm hopeful that everybody realizes this is a problem and needs to work on making it better.
0: Well, Emily, thanks so much for talking with us today about your great uh, new book, The Last Stargazers, The Enduring Story of Astronomy's Vanishing Explorers. It's been a lot of fun talking to you and, uh, you know, how you portray astronomers, uh, you know, the field that I love. it's, It's just wonderful. So thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks again for having me. So,
1: obviously, for today's crank file, we're going to keep on theme, and we're going to talk specifically about aliens, that this is, even the Pentagon and the Navy think that there's a UFO, or a, what is it called? What, a UAO, or whatever. Something weird, something hinky happening that is going on. There were several things that Navy personnel caught on the, on the, on the, you know, a video of. And... And Dean, what do you have to say to that? <laughs> it's legit. <laughs> the Pentagon said, yep, there's some weird, weird stuff going on in that video. In and that, in that, you know, so what do you think about that, smarty pants?
0: Let me stick my bangs right up and say, it's not aliens. <laughs> it is. Yeah, so there's some pretty intriguing videos that pilots have been capturing uh, over the years. These are just kind of the latest and, you know, the last 50 years of catching these kind of pictures. They're and generating
1: buzz. Don't try to dismiss are, them. I know what you're doing.
0: They are definitely generating buzz. The latest one was uh, a Navy video uh, that's uh, the Pentagon is investigating. I always like to hear that that uh, the Pentagon is investigating these, which uh, adds the credence to them. That means they've passed like the 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 first pass and be like, Oh, well, hmm." they can't explain them away quite easily enough. So basically there's, these pilots have been catching these, these blips going across their, their video and they have cameras on their planes and, and are videoing these. Now, a lot of these videos are taken uh, of things that are really, really far away. Objects that are really, really far away that are traveling. Like a UFO might be. Exactly. While the plane is traveling at tremendous speeds, usually under low light conditions. So the camera is struggling to bear, to, to, to pick up some of these images. So you got uh, one thing that's moving far away from you while you're moving using a camera that's not designed to do those things to capture stuff and under really bad light conditions. All that makes for a great blurry UFO video. And so um, the question is, can things is what is that object? And so in these videos, there's a couple things that may not actually be objects. They could be artifacts of the camera that are getting, you know, they're, they're showing up on these very low res uh, things. So that you can kind of throw some of those out, but the ones that make it to the Pentagon, then they got to say, well, wait a second. Okay. It's not an artifact of the camera. It's an actual object. The problem is with all of these, it's all explainable and I'm not going to do a great job on it. Uh, Definitely not as good as some of the folks that uh, uh, we found some really good ones online, especially a guy named Mick West. So if you do YouTube, uh, go to Mick West, how he explains the new Navy UFO videos. He goes step-by-step as to how this blurry blip is moving. What kind of object would move like that? And All of them are terrestrial in origin. Oh, that's
1: convenient.
0: It is convenient. Here's a guy that's not associated with any government or anything telling you the truth. (gasps) He can't be bought. He can't be bought, Anna. Nick West cannot be bought. As me, I can be bought with a new (laughs) Prius. You give me a new Prius to go to another eclipse, (laughs) then you know I might say it's aliens too. Give him a snack
1: budget. Give him a gift card for Shell.
0: Get him yeah. so crazy. I do like that when people think that I've been bought off and I'm like, "Do you see the car I drive?" Yeah. Did, this is I'm the most good, glamorous job n- in the world. I'm not a good negotiator if they bought me off cuz <laughs> I haven't been bought off enough.
1: Oh my god. Um, you do have those but, fancy UFO wheels, hubcaps. Oh.
0: Oh. <gasps> right. Where did snap. I get those?
1: Oh, where did you get those from the anti-UFO lobby as an ironic gesture? <laughs> <laughs>
0: i don't know you're yeah, like I mean, i'm speechless uh,
1: i wasn't prepared for this
0: line of hard uh, questioning i i can neither confirm nor deny that colonel astronaut terry verts gave them to me in exchange for saying that this is not aliens oh my gosh <laughs> I i'm just saying you don't just you don't have to debunk it
1: so hard it could you never know it could i mean it could it could be something they're popping it's down the, to say, Hey,
0: yeah, it's, it's definitely something, but it's not, it's not, not what we, not what we want to jump to think it is. And so we're hoping that we can get some, uh, some, uh, some actual experts that, you know, because some of these, you can see, like they throw the math out when they're debunking these videos. And this is the thing the Pentagon has to go and they, they do have to look at this and see if this is serious or not, because yeah. they're, they're getting their personnel that are seeing UFOs. But we gotta make sure to figure out to identify them, to turn them into IFOs. And the the folks that that debunk these can say, okay, it's it's simple math. The way that the angle of the camera is, the way that the object is, they the, the really compelling videos are the ones where it looks like the object is like skimming above the horizon, skimming above the waves and that kind of stuff. So it's like going really, really fast over the waves. And he explains it. It's all about perspective. When you're zooming in on something so far away, while you're at such high altitude traveling at so fast a speed, the background is going to look like it's going super fast. So we're getting fooled by the videos. And it just takes a little bit of math and technology to to figure out what's really happening. And so most likely uh, these things are just other aircraft that are passing by. So, I'm giving you the boring answer, but uh, that's what's going to get daddy some new hubcaps. So that's how it's going to work.
1: <laughs> I think that it is upsetting how you been willing to sell yourself out for vehicular accessories. And, and I'm going to wait to see what the Pentagon says <laughs> that maybe we've just blown this thing wide open.
0: I that's that is the always the dream. The Pentagon will blow this thing wide open and we'll know everything about it. Uh, they'll open up area 51, um, and then they'll open up area one through 50, which we don't know about. That's what I still want to know. Where is it? Area one,
1: there's that's the real question. Agreed. That's the
0: real question. Way
1: way, way to demand answers, Steve.
0: That's also called deflecting too. That's another <laughs> it's another uh Pentagon technique that they've taught me. I mean that they've that they so
1: I, I mean what? Where am I? Okay.
0: They didn't teach me very well about it, but they did teach me.
1: Yeah, if you tell people about it, what you're doing, it doesn't actually work to deflect. It actually brings the focus back I only, on. Shoot, I only went topic. to the
0: first fifteen minutes of that
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I think we have to we have to wrap this one up before it just, <laughs> you just get out of control.
0: I mean, you are oh, yeah, uh, really grasping
1: at straws.
0: The van is pulled up and is they are taking the hubcaps off it's now. It's
1: unmarked and they are taking the I'm, hubcaps. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Well, this has been revealing, certainly.
0: Not aliens. <laughs> not, aliens. not aliens. That's In the conclusion Dean would
1: like to say, not aliens.
0: That's the, that's the, that's the nothing else. <laughs>
1: Well, that's it for this episode of Looking Up. Thanks again to our guest, Emily Levesque, for joining us today. You can find more about Emily and where to buy her book by visiting wvxu.org slash looking up.
0: Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us there. If it happens to be Apple Podcasts, your rating and comments will help others find us. So thanks for helping out. And if you like what you hear, spread the word.
1: We'd love to hear your ideas for guests or topics including more on aliens, which are inevitably out there in the universe and these weird UFOs find us on Facebook or Twitter or email us at looking up at Our theme song and additional music is by y. That's why that's W H Y question mark from their album, Moline courtesy of joyful noise recordings and terror bird media.
0: Looking up is a production of Cincinnati public radio and not the Pentagon, obviously, were produced, recorded, and edited by Josh Elstro. Jim Nolan provides additional web assistance. Thanks so
1: much for listening. I'm Anna Heeman.
0: And I'm Dean Rigas. Keep looking up.